anger and disappointment today from those behind an indigenous-led bid for the 2030 Winter Olympics and Paralympic Games uh, to be held in Vancouver, Whistler, and Sun Peaks. You'll remember, of course, uh, Vancouver hosted the 2010 Games. It hasn't been that long, but there was an idea that you could bring them back, use a lot of the existing uh, infrastructure that was already there, and host them again. But the province of BC announced on Thursday that they would not support the bid led by four First Nations, the Canadian Olympic Committee and the Canadian Paralympic Committee, as well as the city of Vancouver and the municipality of Whistler. Minister for Tourism, Arts and Culture said, and sports said the government cannot justify the $1.2 billion in direct costs and the $1 billion in liability risk at a time of concerns. There's lots of concerns about other things out there like housing, healthcare, public safety and more. The city is also hosting some big events between now and then, the Invictus Games that Prince Harry is involved with uh, for Wounded Warriors. That's coming up in 2025 in Vancouver. And of course, North uh, North American host city for the 2026 World Cup as well. Um, but amongst the four First Nations supporting the bid who say they did not get a chance to hear the province out about why they decided to go this way and also make their case, um, it is disappointment wrapped in no small amount of disrespect. Here's Chief Jen Thomas of the Silvertooth Nation and Squamish First Nation Councillor Wilson Williams. This is 10 step backwards in reconciliation. The province has to step up now and, sh- you know, build that trust, build that relationship with us. We didn't come to the table asking for a blank check. We were giving terms of this ain't the right time. When will be the right time for Indigenous peoples to be at the forefront in this so-called spirit of reconciliation. Well, now the door isn't completely shut, but it's pretty much a done deal if the province is not going to back this. Uh, First Nations leaders say they're still open to pursuing a bid to host uh, the 2030 Olympics, maybe 2034. But again, they need the uh, provincial government to be involved. But if past is prologue, the idea of bringing the Winter Games back to Vancouver, no matter who is leading the bid, the fact that it may actually benefit the city is probably pretty debatable. And that's just because in the past, they haven't. Most Olympic Games promise gold and deliver bronze or less. So regardless of the reconciliation aspect of the bid, what this is really about is hosting the Olympics, right? Is it worthwhile? Does it make sense to spend that money? Does it make sense to spend taxpayers' money on hosting the Olympics? I mean, there are other ways to pursue reconciliation, obviously. And there should have been more consultation here, I agree. But does it make sense economically to bring the Games back to Vancouver 20 years after the city had them? Well, joining me now with more on that, this is perhaps the foremost expert on that question. Andrew Zimbalist is a professor of economics at Smith College in Massachusetts. He's also the author of several books on the economics of the Olympics, including Circus Maximus and Rio 2016. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. So uh, it's not surprising that cities look ahead to Olympic Games and feel like hmm, that, that could be something interesting. So Vancouver was looking at a 2030 bid just 20 years after they last hosted it. It was Indigenous-led, so it would have been a groundbreaking uh, achievement if they had hosted the Games. But the province thought it's going to be too much money. Uh, are you surprised that a city would want to bid again on the Olympics so soon after hosting them? Well, the reason why cities often bid is because the politicians are approached by construction and development interests who would get massive contracts. And so it's it's never really surprising that a city would say that they're interested in doing it. Uh, it, it is surprising that cities would expect to uh, have have a positive economic outcome because the scholarship on on, on the matter suggests that Except under very very special conditions, it's it's a it's a loss event to host either the summer or the Winter Olympics. When you look at a city that hosted it so recently, I imagine some of the 
uh, infrastructure costs would be less because so much of the, so many of the facilities are already there. Would that make a difference? Do you think? Of course, yes. Yeah. the The infrastructure costs would be less, and that certainly makes a difference. Nonetheless, some of the existing facilities would have to be renovated. There are some new sports in in the Winter Olympics, so there would have to be some additional facilities that weren't necessary in 2010. You need an Olympic Village. Vancouver ran into a lot of trouble with the financing of its Olympic Village for 2010. Uh, And who knows whether that would happen again or not. That's largely a function of what's happening in financial markets, and it's very hard to predict that. Uh, They need a media village as as well. Uh, There'll be other infrastructural costs. Uh, There'll be uh, very large security costs that often are not reckoned into into the operating budget. Uh, And of course, the IOC always requires that the host government, whether it's the city or provincial government, um, guarantee that all of the elements that are talked about in the bid venues and all of the transportation infrastructure and the hospitality, that all of that is guaranteed by the local governments. And if the existing budget is insufficient, then the government has to engage in cost overruns and cost overruns are legion in, in these matters. So it's, 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 it sounds to me like a, a prudent measure or move by, by the Vancouver government to say this is too costly and too risky for us. Yeah, the province. I think the city has supported it for uh, at least uh, the previous administration did. And then the province came in and said, we don't want the $1 right. billion in liabilities right. and we don't want the $1.2 billion in expenses. Um when you look at, uh, at at the benefits, and I remember being in London for the 2012 Olympics, which was interesting because a lot of people said, well, you know, London attracts lots of tourists in the summer anyway. It didn't need the Olympics. In fact, if anything, it emptied out the city of tourists because people just avoided going because they thought it would exactly. be too packed. Is that something that, that, that every city runs into the – like, what are the benefits really when you look at it uh, objectively to hosting a, an Olympics, Olympic game? Well, let's let's talk about London for a moment because I think it's, it's exemplary of – of the kinds of issues that that cities run into. London actually experienced a 5% decrease in its international tourism during during 2012. Uh, And the reason for that is that the normal tourists tend to stay away because they're they're afraid that there's going to be too much congestion. They're concerned about higher prices and and difficulty in in renting rooms. Uh, and some people are concerned of a heightened risk of of terrorism or other untoward physical events. So it's not uncommon at all for the normal tourists to stay away, for the Olympic tourists to come in. And, and how those two numbers will balance each other out is not known ahead of time. There are some there are some cities that had a larger influx of of tourism connected to the, than the tourism that was pushed away because of the Olympics. And by the way, very often, local residents will also leave because they want to avoid the same things that the, the tourists, the normal tourists would avoid. Um, so you don't know ahead of time whether there's going to be a, a modest increase in net tourism or a modest decrease. And it's very hard to, to depend upon that. A lot of some it's, it's not at all uncommon for new hotels to be built um, on, on the hopes that there'll be enough thrust from the initial 17 days of the Olympics, not only to fill the hotel during those days, but it'll carry them forward. But very often hotels are built and and then they go bankrupt or they're they're sold for much less money. Uh, Now, the other thing, of course, that's true about London is that the people who were 
in London as tourists in 2012 were there to watch the Olympic Games. They weren't there to go to Buckingham Palace. They weren't there to go to the Tate Gallery or the National Museum. They weren't there for the typical tourist attractions of London. And and you you could you could read if you go back and look at the newspapers during the summer of 2012, uh, you can read that the the, the 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 downtown area, the Piccadilly Circus area, the, the theater area was was basically a ghost town oh the restaurants was. restaurants <laughs> restaurants were so you don't have to read about it you were there yeah uh, and so what what does that mean in the long run in the long run what it means is that the the single best mechanism to advertise your city for tourism is to have tourists go there and then go home and talk to their friends neighbors and relatives to tell them what a great time they had um going to the national galleries or what a great time they had going to uh, London theater and what a great, what, how much better the, the food is at the restaurants. And so, but that kind of message doesn't happen after the 2012 summer. The, the people who go home say, oh, I saw a wonderful swimming race, a thousand meter swimming race, mm-hmm. or I saw a wonderful road race or, or what, ha- what have you. Uh, and none of that of course will be there the following summer for other tourists to, to, to enjoy. And so, and so as a city loses its best mechanism for promoting long-term tourism when it hosts the games. So the notion that there's this boon and, and great advantage because they're they're on the world stage uh, doesn't doesn't often play out. And in fact, the econometric scholarly evidence suggests that it's it's not something to rely upon, and rather a large a large debt, a financial debt plus additional problems which have to do with maintaining the facilities once they're built uh, and the fact that facilities, particularly in downtown Vancouver, certainly not at Whistler Mountain, but the downtown facilities, they're going to have to be maintained. And while they're being maintained, they're occupying scarce urban real estate, which could be used for other purposes. The notion that you're getting put on the world stage and therefore there's going to be more investment and more trade in your community, that simply just doesn't, it doesn't play out. It hasn't happened empirically. There are a couple of cases that uh, arguably are exceptions, um, but it's it's certainly not a typical situation. And uh, one of the things I always struck me, and I grew up in Montreal, as I was telling you, and, you know, we know all about the economics of the Olympic Games in that city. What strikes me as odd is that, you know, the Olympics are held every two years, the winter, then the summer. And yet over all this time, these, these, these same stories continue to perpetuate about, you know, a shot in the arm for your, for the economy puts us on the world stage. I mean, I've heard these stories, whether it was in Beijing in 2008, whether it was in London in 2012, even in Montreal back in 76. Uh, why do those, why do those stories continue to, uh, to spread? Do you think? Well, because the, the, the people that are trying to promote the Olympics and those people of course are the IOC. And usually there's a coalition of business interests in the city that's attempting to host uh, that come primarily from the the construction industry and and uh, developers in the city. But sometimes there'll also be a bank that's going to float float the bonds. Uh, Sometimes there's going to be some some law firms that are going to work with uh, the legal aspects of hosting. Uh, Sometimes there might be some architectural firms. So you have a coalition of interests uh, in, in 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 whose interest it is to host the games because they're going to get billions and billions of dollars of contracts that they otherwise wouldn't get. So they go to the politicians and they convince them and they use arguments like that, that you're going to be on the world stage, that you're going to attract tourism uh, into, into the indefinite future and so on and so forth. This is all part of the sell 
the sell of the of the this sales job of, of the Olympic Games, uh, and and it will continue to be used, uh, even though I think increasingly it is uh, being looked at skeptically because of past experience. Yeah, when you look at um, when you look at what's happened of late, there seems to be fewer and fewer places bidding for the games, which must signal there's there's a problem. Yeah, if you go back to the late 1990s or the early years of this this uh, century, you see that there are four, five, six, seven, eight, nine cities that want to bid to host either a particular winter or summer games. Uh, what you see in the last 10 years is that the, the the number of cities that are in the final stage trying to, to win the bid tend to be one or two. Um, sometimes you'll start out with three or four or five, but by the time the final bids are due, it's it's been whittled down to to one or two. In the case of the 2030 games, uh, we, we know that Salt Lake City has expressed an interest, and we know that Sapporo, Japan, has expressed an interest. Uh, Vancouver would have been the third. Uh, but it seems pretty unlikely that it would be Salt Lake City because the people who are organizing the games for, for Los Angeles in 2028 – don't want to be sharing the stage and, and particularly sharing domestic sponsorship money uh, with with games that are going to be happening two years later. And that leaves Sapporo. And, and this, the status of that bid, I think, is still a little bit uncertain. The The IOC has run into this problem time and time again. The, the Winter Olympics uh, that will happen in 2026, uh, they're going to happen in Milan. Milan and Cortina have come together uh, to to win that bid. Uh, several cities had dropped out of the bidding. And in, in the last days, the IOC said there were two bidders. There was, uh, th- there was the, the bid coming out of Stockholm and the bid coming out of Milan. Right. The, the fact of the matter is that the Stockholm City Council had said that they're not willing to sign the pledge that all cities have to sign, which is that they'll cover any cost overruns. Um, and, and because the Stockholm City Council had said that, it was clear that the IOC would never give the Olympics to Stockholm. So they said, they like to say that there was two bidders at the end, but really there was only one. There was Milan Cortina. Uh, and Milan Cortina is an interesting case because those those two places are over 200 miles apart. Uh, and and the, the, Cortina doesn't have an international airport. And so the, the transportation uh, between them is, is going to be complicated and expensive to organize. So for 2030, Vancouver might have had a decent chance, even though the 2028 games are in L.A., but uh, ultimately the province said, you know, <laughs> no thanks. So, I mean, that's uh, that's going to be, I think, a problem for the IOC going forward. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, my pleasure.